Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created through him, and without him was nothing that was made, made. And uh, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and it has not overcome it. John takes this concept of light, something we can get with our noodles, right? We can, we can understand it. It's temporal and it's, uh, it's created and it's, and it's earthly, but we get it, don't we? We all understand what light means. Uh, and he helps us understand the God who's uh, incomprehensible, the God who's eternal and spirit and truth and everything. And light fascinates me. So I got a, I got a magic trick. This is an actual magic trick. Watch this. Oh, would you see that? There you go. Nailed it. And that's the first. Oh, no. Nope. Don't look, I don't have a remote in my hand here. So light fascinates me. Um, I think about this. Light, uh, if, if there were no light coming into this room, this light would appear insanely bright. The, the, there's so much light coming in here. We got these windows, uh, and even though it's a gray day, there's light just flooding this room, and we've got these lights here, and uh, we've got an entire forest of Christmas trees, um, and uh, each one has more lights than like a town in, in the early 1900s would have had. Uh, we, there's so much light in here, but there's, there's no light in here. This little puny little light would, uh, would shine very brightly, and in fact, it would, you'd be able to see it all the way across the room, and it would light up uh, the room well enough, at least, that you could, you could make your way around. Light fascinates me. Because we don't just see it. I mean, you can look right at the source, but we, we don't just see the light, but we see everything else because of the light. Does that make sense? Light comes into our world. It just bounces off everything and refracts through things and so on. And, uh, and, that's, and it enables us to see. Like, you can't see anything unless light bounces off of it and it goes into your eyeball. That has to happen. We can't see without light. Light enables us to see things the way they really are. And in most of life, that's a good thing. In general, it's good to have light. Like we, in the dark, we see monsters and bad guys. Uh, but then you turn the lights on and you realize that the, the branch of the tree was moving in the wind or you know the coat was slung over the back of the chair and you see clearly. In the dark, the lights are off, even... You know, my bedroom, we haven't moved the furniture once since we put it in there. And still, if the lights are off, I'm just stumbling around. And I'm going to hit my shin on something. It's going to happen, right? In the dark, we stumble around. We bump into stuff. But the light, when the lights are on, we can navigate life. In general, the, the presence of light is, is a good thing to us, isn't it? But let's say there's something in your life that you don't want people to see. Then, then the light's not, uh, is, so we're not as big of a fan of the light if that's the case. For example, my pickup truck. I've got a 2010 Silverado. And um, you could call it a dark 50-foot beauty. Because, and it looks, it looks great. 
if you're standing like 50 feet away from it and it's dark out. <laughs> but in the light of day, you see the dents and the dings and the missing trim and, and so on. And then if you take a flashlight and really look like get underneath it, then you see all how corroded it is and all the rust and, and so on. And Melanie's like, Brandon, that's terrible. You should do something about it. And I say, just don't, just don't look at it. Right? Uh, light enables us to see things the way they really are. And Christmas could be described like this, that the light of God is shining into our dark world. And that's a wonderful thing. And, and it gives us hope in one regard, but it has another effect on us as well. That when the light of God shines on us, if it shines into the dark world, that can give us hope. But when it shines on us, we tend to recoil from it. Why? Because it can, it can expose us. It, 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 when the light shines into the darkness, it lights things up. It exposes everything. And that, that includes the parts of our lives that are corroded. The rusty undercarriage of the pickup trucks of our lives uh, gets exposed. And we don't want people to see that. We'd prefer it remain hidden. So we kind of tend to recoil from God. And, and that's exactly what, that's the concept that John is trying to explain in John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. It's a passage I want to look at today. And I'm going to read it, and then I want us to pray together and invite God to speak through his word to his people by his spirit. And um, here's my simple goal, is that um, when you leave here today, you will be more likely to move toward the light of God rather than recoil from God. That's my goal. Here we are, John 3, verses 19 through 21. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. So let's pray now. Lord, here we are, your people, under, under the light of, of, of your truth, Lord, under the light of your presence. And there's no, there's no part of this planet we can go to hide from you. And there's no, there's no part of us that you don't know. There's nothing concealed, Lord, that uh, isn't revealed to you. You know us. You know us better than we know ourselves. So there's no reason to hide from you. God, we see that you're light, you're perfect, you're holy. And there's no darkness in you whatsoever. And because we often uh, live lives of doing things we know we ought not do, and we want to hide that from you, we tend to hide ourselves. But there's no, there's no freedom in that. We're forgiven because of what your son did on the cross. And so, Father, now would you send your son or send your spirit uh, in the way that you sent your son? Would you send your spirit today? Help us to know your forgiveness. 
And beyond just knowing that, that we are forgiven, Lord, would, would we be able to experience that forgiveness? Would it translate into the way we go about our week? Would it change the way we interact with you and interact with other people and even interact with ourselves? To your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so why do I say that Christmas could be described as God's light shining into a dark world? Why do I say that? Well, that's the imagery that the prophet Isaiah used um, when he was foretelling the coming of the Messiah uh, roughly 700 years before Christ was even born. Isaiah foretold the coming of the Messiah, and he did so in great detail. You know, uh, you read Isaiah, and there's a reason they call it the fifth gospel, is because he depicts Christ in such detail that you think, well, how, how was that written? How, it seems like he had, to, he had to have known Christ, but how do you write that? Well, the truth is, he, uh, he was carried along by God's spirit to get people ready for God's son. And, and this is what he says here. Here's how he describes light. Or, and the Messiah, he says, people walked in darkness, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And he, so he's looking forward 700 years in the future. And he's talking about this, this people who have seen a light and it's giving them hope. And who's this light? And what's, that, what's he talking about there? Well, a couple of verses later, he says, here's why, here's why I say they've seen a light. For unto us, a child is born. To us, a son has been given. You, you, you process what he's saying here? He'll be called uh, everlasting God and, you know, wonderful counselor and mighty God, all this uh, everlasting father, uh, prince of peace. But the reason that this, he can say that these people who are in darkness have seen a great light is because that child has shown up, has arrived, that son has been given. So God's people here in, uh, in exile are wearied and they're awaiting the arrival of hope. They're awaiting this light that would shine into the dark world, the sun that would come and, and set them free. They're, they're, they're um, uh, filled with this messianic expectation. And then Christ comes and then here's what John writes. He says, the, in him was life and that light was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then John says in verse 9, he says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That's what we celebrate on Christmas. The light of God shining into the dark world through the person of Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. Well, now what, is it, what is meant by light here? Think about this. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Life, uh, life and, and death are not necessarily opposites, are they? They're, death is the absence of life. Likewise, light and darkness aren't necessarily opposites, are they? No, darkness is the absence of light, and light shines into the darkness. What he's talking about there is that in Christ was life and light. The life is that self-existent life that is in God and God alone. None of us has life 
in ourselves because of ourselves. Only God is self-existent. Only God possesses life without it having been given by someone else. In him is life. You know, when, when God formed Adam, he had, to, he had to breathe life into him. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And so not only is all the self-existent life of God here, but also the holiness of God is here. His perfect, uh, his moral uh, perfection, his beauty, his righteousness. So you have all of the life of God and all of the holiness of God, and they're poured entirely into the human body in the form of Christ. And that's who Jesus is. All of God poured into a body. And uh, Jesus knew who he was. He He knew he was the light shining into the darkness. When Jesus read Isaiah, he knew, oh, that's talking about me. You know, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And do you remember when he spoke that? He uh, was in Jerusalem, and uh, every year, all the, the Jews of the time would gather together, and they would have this big celebration called the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Think of the, the Festival of Tents, if you want to say it that way. And what they would celebrate was the 40-year period in between Egypt and the Promised Land, wherein God uh, led his people through the wilderness. And during that time, how did he lead them? But by a pillar of fire. And that fire was the manifest presence of God with his people, leading his people, shining light into their darkness. And so the Jews would gather, and during the festival of tabernacles, they would, in the uh, part of the temple called the court of women, they would light these huge lamps, and, and they would they would carry torches, and they would dance, and they would sing praises to God under the light of these, of these lamps. And there would just be this exuberant celebration. And those lamps represented the pillar of fire that God, that God led uh, Israel with in the wilderness. And in the midst of all that celebration, illuminated by the glow of the lamps that represent God with his people, Jesus stands up and makes the declaration, I am the light of the world. Jesus knew exactly what he was saying. He knew who he was. And I tell you what, they knew exactly what he meant too. You know why I say that? This is one of the things that eventually got him killed. Eventually, they would kill him, not because they didn't like him, but because he said enough things that added up to, I am God. All right, so anyways, uh, this is, this is Jesus. This is the light of the world. This is God's light coming into the world. And that's why Christmas is a big deal. And as, as the light of Christ shines into the world, it has an effect on us. It essentially divides all of humanity into two categories. There are those who love the light and those who hate it. There are those who uh, come into the light and those who seek to avoid it. And the reader of the New Testament going through John's gospel 
is left with the question, which one are you? Or how are you going to live? Are you going to move toward the light or are you going to recoil from the light? And so that, I want to dive into this text and get a, get a good feel of it here. And I want you to see three things specifically. The first one is this, that we have a universal tendency to be dishonest with God. We have a universal tendency to be dishonest with God. This is, this is a universally, unilaterally human issue. Right, so we're going to look at this text, but the context of the text is that God has sent his son into a condemned world to save people out of that condemned world. And anyone who rejects the son then remains condemned. So it's kind of, it's kind of courtroom language, isn't it? And, and, and he says, and this is the judgment, or this is the verdict, uh, verse 19. The light has come into the world, and uh, people loved the darkness rather than the light. And why did they love the darkness rather than the light? Because they can't be convinced scientifically that the light exists? No. Because they think the light just isn't fair and they don't like the light, they don't, they don't want the light? No. They'd prefer to have a different light? No. He says, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. See, we have a universal tendency to do things we know we shouldn't and then try to hide it. Why? Partially because we're ashamed, but also because we like doing things that we shouldn't do. And so we have this tendency, we do it with each other. We keep stuff from each other, don't we? Spouses keep things from, from each other. Employees keep things from their employers. Right, from a very young age, a child will say, can I have a cookie? And the parent will say, I'll wait until after dinner. And at a certain point, every child will, go, will say to themselves, I bet I can get that cookie. <laughs> I'm going to get me a cookie. And they get in the cupboard and they sneak one and they try to, they try to squirrel it back to some you know, inconspicuous place in the house where they can enjoy it free from the judgment of their parents. And if the parent catches them in the act and says, hey, what's in your hand? What does every single kid do? And what does every single kid say? Put it behind their back. What's in your hand? Nothing. <laughs> that's it, man. And that's, that's us. We all, we all want a cookie. We all know our parents said, wait till after dinner. And we all have that same reaction, just like Adam and Eve, hiding it behind their backs, hiding themselves from God, saying, nothing to see here. Uh, none of us wants our works exposed. Why? Well, it's a little embarrassing, and uh, we, like, we like the cookie. So anyways, uh, here's a question for you. What's the, what's the most noble thing in, in that setting, what's the most noble thing the child can do? You can hold out the cookie and just admit it. That's the most honorable thing. Cookie in hand, the kid can hold it out and say, yeah, I, uh, I know you said don't, don't get one till after dinner, but here it is. I'm the type of person that steals cookies. Uh, the second thing I want you to see 
is what John's saying here is that the most noble thing we can do is be honest before God. The most noble thing we can do is be honest before God. Like we all want to hide our wrongdoing because we want to keep doing wrong. But the most noble thing we can do is be honest before God. Look at verse 21. Right at the beginning of the verse, it says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light. Now that expression, does what is true, doesn't mean who, uh, notice he doesn't say whoever, um, whoever's works are righteous. You notice he doesn't say that. Like he, he said, whoever, whoever loves the darkness, they, 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 they don't want to come to the light because they love their works and their works are wicked and so on. He doesn't use the opposite of that. He says, does what is true. This expression doesn't mean doing righteous things. It's a Semitic, a Semitic uh, expression, meaning to do what is honorable, to act honorably, to do what is right. So the statement doesn't mean that if someone is just so righteous, they can just come into the light and, and not be exposed. You know, there's no such thing as some form of superior person who can flaunt their righteousness in the presence of God. It doesn't exist. But what this means is that knowing full well that our works are not righteous, the most honorable thing we can do is be honest about it before God and others. Notice he says, whoever does what is true comes to the light, and why? What's the motive there? What's the motive of the one who does what is true, does the noble thing, and comes into the light? So that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. In other words, if I'm willing to be honest about who I am and what I've done, uh, if I'm totally honest with that before God and even before others, others will be able to see that it is actually God working in me. So rather than looking at me and drawing, if, if, I, if I just try to create a shiny avatar, a Brandon-like uh, fake version of me that goes out into the world and, and, uh, and fools everybody, into thinking that I'm something special. And they look at me and draw the conclusion, man, Brandon is wonderful. That's not a God-glorifying conclusion. God doesn't get any glory if people think I'm great because I'm great. But if people know who I really am and they say, actually, Brandon's kind of a mess. He's a sinner. But God is working in him then God gets all the glory. And that is a very God-glorifying conclusion. And so the most honorable thing we can do is be honest before God. Um, and when that starts to happen, when we start to do that, you know what it does? It, it paves the way for fellowship with others. Honesty before God paves the way for fellowship with others. If you want to have deep relationships you cannot live a superficial life. If, 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 what, if the only part of yourself that you show to God or others is what's on the surface, you will have a surface level relationship. But if you're open and honest before God and others about who you really are, you can start to experience deep relationships with people. 
Honesty with God paves the way for fellowship with others. I'm going to jump over to 1 John. So we've got the same author talking about the same topic using so much of the same language. And I I want you to hear his uh, line of reasoning here. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. Here's the gospel. That God is light. Does this sound familiar? And in him is no darkness at all. You pause and process what that means. That in God, there's no darkness. There's not an ounce of malice in God. There's not an ounce of evil in God. There's no adultery in God. There's no unfaithfulness in God. There's no prejudice in God. There's no racism in God. In God is is no darkness whatsoever. He's light. And then he goes on to say, so if we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie. We don't practice the truth. We don't do what is true. We don't do the honorable thing. If, if we say we have fellowship with him, like if I say God is my number one priority in life, Jesus is my king, but then I walk, I live my life in a way that, that doesn't line up with him or his values or who he is whatsoever. And not just sin, but I, and I hide it. I walk in darkness, meaning I, I cover it up. I conceal it. I make sure no one can find that out. What's happening? Well, I'm deceptive, aren't I? It's a, it's a lie. It's a farce, the whole thing. And I don't practice the truth. But then he goes on to say, but here's what will happen. If you walk in the light as he is in the light. And what do you mean being walked in the light? We've got nothing hidden in the darkness. It's, it's all out. It's exposed. It's honest. We do the noble thing. We admit we took the cookie. If we do that, we have fellowship with pause. Doesn't it seem like he should say God right there? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, wouldn't you expect him to say that we will have fellowship with God? That's not what he says though, is it? It's true, but it's not what he says. Get what he says here. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we'll have fellowship with one another. Honesty before God paves the way for fellowship with other people. You process what what John's saying here. Love God with everything you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. The two are connected. And we can't walk in darkness and lie to God about it and lie to other people about it and then expect this whole thing to work. It's not how it's designed. So if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And here's the other part. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's talking about experiencing in the here and now the forgiveness of God. That's not just the one day At some point, you will be forgiven. It's talking about being forgiven today, in December of 2023. And uh, Jesus gave us uh, an ordinance, a practice, 
to remind ourselves of that sin-cleansing, forgiveness-purchasing blood that was shed. And so uh, I don't want to talk about walking in the light without giving the opportunity to say, God, would you shine light? I don't, I don't want to talk about re- receiving God's forgiveness without pausing to confess our sins and, 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 and receive God's forgiveness. So I'd like to invite the musicians up now and they're, they're gonna lead us in a time of communion. And before we partake of the elements, I want us all to pause and to spend a moment in reflection. And um, um, if, if, you're not, if you're not comfortable with this, just sit and relax. I don't know, check Facebook or something. But if you're comfortable with this, what I'd like you to do is actually close your eyes right now. I want you to hold the elements in your hands and, and remember what they represent. Namely, the, 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 the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. Hold the elements in your hands and let's take a moment. Um, just walk down to the basement of your soul in your imagination right now. Down in the that dark part of your life where you got stuff hidden away that you really wouldn't want anyone to see. And it's cluttered and it's messy and it's dirty and, it's, and you don't really want to go there. If we say we have no sin, verse 8 says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So would you invite God to point out anything in the basement of your soul right now that you, would, uh, you wouldn't want anyone else to see and you would, would you prefer him to not see it? Would you give him permission to shine light uh, behind the stacks of boxes and move things around and invite him and, and say, God, anything you want me to bring out, I'll bring it out. I'll bring it out of the basement. I'll put it out in the front yard and let you sort it out. Any, any rebellion um, against God, any hardness to God that you have right now, would you say, God, would you point this out? Would you shine your light? Would you bring conviction? Any habitual sin in your life right now that you're just unwilling to let go of, would you say, God, convict me now of it? Anything in the last week, any conversation, any word you spoke, any, even any uh, line of thought, any, any dishonest financial dealing, any, anything, any form of idolatry of trusting money more than God or seeking pleasure in earthly things rather than seeking pleasure in God, any any amount of unfaithfulness in you, would you say, God, would you point that out now? Would you convict me and help me bring it into the light? And Dana is gonna, and Josh are gonna lead us in a song right now. And I just want you to listen. Keep your eyes closed and just listen. But the lyrics kind of bring you 
to the foot of, of the cross.